Who do you trust? Now, I want you to be really honest as you consider that question. Who do you trust? If you're familiar with the um, Enneagram or perhaps you've done some studying on other um, personality or spiritual growth profiles, you'll know that um, different personality types tend to be more or less trusting. I happen to be um, an Enneagram number, I'm an eight, who uh, is wired to be fairly um, non-trusting. And the really sad thing about being um, a person who takes a while to trust is that when that trust is broken, when you do suffer betrayal, it tends to um, affirm or confirm uh, the narrative that you've been telling yourself all along that most people can't be trusted. Who do you trust? Be really, really honest. And I think if you are, I know as I was working on this message, I was trying to be really honest with this question. I think the answer is I don't trust many people at all. Um, I actually stopped counting because uh, the list was so short. And I thought if I start talking about how short the list is, there are bound to be some people watching who thought they were in the trust tree with Pastor Todd who really aren't. And um, this is not a, a good thing. This is not something that I take joy in recounting. But as you've gotten to know me a little bit, as you watch me preach, I hope you've come to know that I try to be really honest and as authentic as possible. So I know for me, trust is difficult. I don't trust that many people. And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe for you, trust is hard. Let's take it a step further now. And let me ask you, do you trust God? Trusting God, I think if we're really honest, um, is potentially harder than trusting people. Because people we can see, we interact with them uh, in the physical world. They talk to us, we talk to them, we have emotional interplay and interaction. And so if it's hard for us to trust people who we see, who we hear, who we interact with regularly, how much harder might it be for us to trust a God who we do not see and we do not typically audibly hear? I know if you're anything like me, you sometimes get the sense that God is speaking to you. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I feel like God's talking to me. Sometimes when I'm in a corporate worship experience, I feel like God is speaking to me or the song comes alive in a way that I feel is particularly meant for me. Usually when that happens, I immediately break out in tears. If you ever see Pastor Todd crying, it's because the Holy Spirit has put his finger on my heart in a way that I can feel. A couple of times in my life, I've felt like I've heard the voice of God. Once uh, I saw my dad in a vision as he was preaching in our church in Jerusalem, and I felt like God spoke to me audibly. Uh, another time it happens when I was um, praying in Thanksgiving for my firstborn son. But, uh, you know, not too often does God speak to us audibly. There's only a very few instances in all of the Bible of God speaking audibly to someone. So it's hard to trust a God we don't see, who we don't hear from. Um, and the question becomes, seeing as it's so hard, so difficult to trust God. Why should I do the work? Why, why, Pastor Todd, why should I do the work of trying to trust God? It's hard. I've tried. It's difficult. Perhaps that's been your journey. Perhaps you've tried to trust God and you feel like he's disappointed you. So as you hear me talking about trusting God, there's already a massive emotional wall in your life where you feel like I tried that and it didn't work. Why should I try again? Maybe you've been contemplating it. You realize that you need to go deeper in your relationship with God, and you know that all relationships are built on trust. Why should I learn to trust God? Well, because of what happens when you do. Some beautiful things happen when you trust, and we will outline them for you today from Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, 
for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. I mean, that's a, that is a good, good psalm. So here's the question we're dealing with throughout the entirety of this sermon. It's a simple one. I hope it keeps ringing in your ears and in your heart as we work our way through the text. What happens when you trust? What happens when you trust? First thing that happens when you trust is that you get the grace you need. We find this rates off the top of the psalm in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, O God, in the Hebrew is beautiful and even more powerful, typically, than it is in the English. Be gracious to me, O God, in the Hebrew means mercy me. Mercy me, O God. It's with great joy that I tell you today that receive it. Grace is a verb. I mean, you should say hallelujah right there in your house. Don't you need grace to be a verb? We need, I need grace. Thank God grace is a verb. Okay? Not be gracious to me, O oh God. Mercy me, O oh God. Mercy me. Grace is a verb. When you trust God, he mercies you. Ever play the mercy game when you were little? If you had an older sibling or an older cousin? Right, you, you remember you'd link your hands and then see who's stronger, and when they were gonna defeat you and break your hands, you'd cry out, mercy. That's the image that comes to me, except in a good way. Right, if you were to play the mercy game with God, he would always win, hallelujah. Right, know this next time you find yourself in trouble, perhaps next time you do something that causes trouble, and you find yourself in need of mercy, cry out to God knowing that he will mercy you and he always wins when you trust god he mercies you when you trust point number two you learn to put your hope in the right place i love this point this comes from verses three through four a let me uh, read them to you here when i am afraid i put my trust in you in god whose word i praise i put my trust in you. This is a beautiful sentence. If you meditate on it, think on it for a moment. Who puts that trust in God? You do. I put my trust in you. You got to put your trust somewhere. You got to put your trust somewhere. 
Have you been waiting for someone else to place your trust in God? Have you been trying to live your faith vicariously through someone else? Somebody say, touche, preacher. Right, is that for you? You are the only one who can put your trust in God. And you got to put that trust somewhere. I am fond of saying in a counseling context that no decision is a decision, right? How often have we been guilty of procrastinating, not making a decision, even though the need to make that decision is bearing down on us like a freight train? And whether we're afraid, we don't know what to do, we've been wounded in the past, and so we're hesitant. Making no decision is a decision. If you don't put your trust in God, you're going to put it somewhere else. Okay? Trust is a real thing. If it doesn't reside in the God of the universe, it's going to reside somewhere else. So my question to you today is this. Who or what are you hoping will save you? Maybe run an inventory. If you're a list person, make a list. Write it down. Might be good for you to um, actually visualize all those places wherein you are placing your trust. And then just stare at those places and soak in the fact that those places are not God. You're to place your trust in God. I put my trust in you. When you trust God, this is beautiful, your hope gets put in the right place. How many hopes do you have that have been dashed? Dare I ask, how many of those hopes have been placed throughout your life in the wrong place consistently? over and over and over and over and over again, you put your hope in the wrong place. Is it any wonder that so many of our hopes are dashed? When you put your trust in God, you put your hope in the right place, and point number three, you discover faith. What happens when you trust? You discover faith, okay? Note that when you trust, which is in itself sort of an act of faith, when you trust, then you discover faith. Remember Indiana Jones and Last Crusade? The bridge that he has to cross over and he can't see it? I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but it's powerfully illustrative. Puts his foot up and he has to kind of step down before he sees the bridge that previously he could not see. When you trust, you discover faith. Faith. I find this in uh, verse 4, part B. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This is um, an interesting statement at first blush. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Let's answer that question. Um, what can flesh do to us? A lot! A lot! In fact, most of the horrible things that have been done to you in your life have been done to you by other people, okay? It's very rare that, like last week, trouble drops on us from the sky. Even last week in Psalm 55, it's David's enemies who are dropping trouble on him from the sky, the image being that you know, they're dropping stones, they're dropping trouble from the walls of the ungodly city. But trouble comes from other people. What can flesh do to me? A lot. I don't know about you, but I've been just bearing the weight of the world these last few months. I was actually talking to my executive pastor, Brian Bitten, this week. He was asking me how I was doing, and I told him I was feeling pretty down. He said, why is that? I said, well, I think because my job is to be so emotionally vulnerable and open to God at all times, so that as I stand here to preach to you, I'm not a fraud, 
That's the worst thing a preacher could be is fake. So I have to live my life in a state of such emotional vulnerability that it not only opens me to God, but it opens me to you. It opens me to others. It opens me to the pain of the world. And sometimes I can hardly bear it. So this past week on Monday, I just, I just felt the pain of the world. Everybody I see who looks sad, everybody I see who looks broken, I think about the fact that they are sad and broken because somebody made them feel that way. What can flesh do to me? A lot. A lot. Exactly. Okay? I want to just say exactly. If you feel that way when you read those words of David, what can flesh do to me? If your instant reaction is, well, honestly, Pastor Todd, a lot. I've dealt with a lot of pain. I want to say exactly. David here is making a faith statement. You're welcome. That changes everything. He's making a faith statement. Look at the life of David. The guy suffered, I think, probably more than you or I will ever suffer. He knows that flesh can do a lot to him. So he's making here a faith statement. When it comes to risk management, trusting God looks like finding the situation where faith is possible. Why risk management? Well, you want to eliminate as much risk as possible, right? You want to eliminate the ways in which flesh, other people can do things to you that will hurt you and harm you. And so perhaps you build walls around yourself. Perhaps you do everything you can to keep people at a distance. You build up defense mechanisms so that you are less vulnerable than you might otherwise be. Are you preoccupied with risk managing your life? As you come to Jesus, as you awaken to new life as one of God's friends, I want to remind you that learning to trust God means looking to find the situation where faith is possible. That's quoting an old, wonderful preacher, R.W. Tozer. I often encounter Christians who say to me, you know, pastor, I don't really see God come through in my life very often. And if that's you, I don't want to minimize your experience. I don't want to make you feel like I'm belittling your perspective or um, questioning its validity. But let me say, lovingly, but yet pointedly, um, I think it's at least possible that you may never see God come through because your life is too safe. Somebody say, touche, preacher. Is that you? God never comes through for you because your life is too safe. When was the last time you put yourself in a situation where unless God came through, you were in deep, I mean deep, I mean the deepest trouble possible? That's a little Back to the Future reference right there. Oh no, it's a Goonies reference right there. Deep, I mean deep, the deep, you can't say the word in church, but uh, you all know the scene that I'm talking about. When's the last time you put yourself there? I mean, uh, let's be honest. I mean, you don't, you don't got to play with me here. When was the last time you literally leveraged what God's called you to do to the point that it was risky? To the point that if God didn't provide, if God didn't come through, you're in deep trouble. I think honestly, not that often. And just let me say that I believe because I have experienced there is deep richness of faith to be found on the other side of radically trusting God. And I do not think that God parts the Red Sea unless you're Moses with the people of Israel behind you and Pharaoh's army bearing down behind you. I think that God tends to come through in desperate situations. And the more you try to avoid desperate situations, the more you are 
eliminating the possibility that the God of the universe might step in and do something miraculous. Pastor Todd, are you asking us to take more risks? I'm suggesting you at least think about it. Because at the end of yourself, as my friend likes to say, you find the beginning of God. What if something goes wrong? What if it all falls apart? Well, here we come to a very encouraging passage in Psalm 56. If things go wrong, remember that. Point number four, your, receive it. Your pain is noticed. (sighs) Did you just say hallelujah in your house? Your pain is noticed. Get a load of verse eight. This is so great. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I mean, somebody shout in this house. God notices. He sees you. He sees your pain. He knows everything you've lost along the way. He is keeping score. You have kept track of my tossings. You know what tossings is in the Hebrew? It's much better in the Hebrew. Receive it. You have kept track of my wanderings. You ever wandered from the path? God saw you. God cared for you throughout your wanderings. You have kept count of my wanderings. If you feel lost today, I'm here to tell you that God sees you. Hallelujah. God sees you, my friends, and he has put your tears in his bottle. Now, let me disabuse you here of like a Hallmark card interpretation of this part of the passage. You think he puts your tears in a bottle, you get this picture of God sitting in his godly bedroom and your tear falls and he he catches it in this beautiful crystal bottle and puts it on a shelf and there's a shelf full of billions and billions of bottles where he catches everyone's tears and preserves them for I don't know why except in Israel we don't use no crystal bottles get a load of this this is powerful literally here he says that you you have put my tears in your skin water jug okay this is a canteen this is a skin water jug that gets slung over the back of an explorer, gets slung over the back of a family unit as they trek from one place to the next, gets slung over the back of a shepherd as he goes out to guard his flock. He has put your tears in his skin canteen. And why is this so awesome? Because in Israel, where I grew up, water is quite literally life itself. When we would go out as kids on school trips, they would drill into us to make sure that our canteens were always full. Even as kids, we always took two, sometimes three canteens strapped to our belts. And even growing up in Israel in the 80s, some of us carried skin canteens. A skin canteen is literally, receive it, a portable water source that you handle with utmost care, preserving every last drop. God has preserved every last drop of your pain. Receive it today. Not one drop of your pain will be wasted. I mean, somebody shout. If, if you believe that, that redeems every sorrowful moment you have ever experienced. And you're thinking like I am right now of all the moments of deep sorrow you've experienced throughout your life, aren't you? 
if God has placed every single one of those moments in his skin canteen, his portable water source where he guards every last drop, then not one drop of your pain has ever been wasted. Hallelujah, because you have trusted in God. And point number five, you've discovered true security. I get this from uh, verse nine, part B. You could write a song about this. Verse nine, part B. Then my enemies will turn back in the day that I call. Here it is right here. This I know that God is for me. What else do you need? Nothing. This I know that God is for me. If he's for you, who can be against you? Nobody. The ultimate proof of the fact that God is for you is the cross of Jesus Christ where he hung once and for all to suffer and die in your place for your sins and the empty tomb from whence he rose again, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever and conquering once and for all the death grip that death had on you. He is so for you that he went to the cross to secure your friendship with him forever. And all you need to do to step into that security is to just step in, to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. Yes, Jesus, today, I wanna be one of your people. Yes, Jesus, today, make me yours. Yes, Jesus, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. Begin teaching me from this moment forward what it looks like to learn to love, serve, follow, obey, and enjoy you all the days of my life. Once you discover this kind of confidence, do you feel it? Do you feel it in your bones? I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my body. I feel it in my mind. The confidence that comes from knowing that God is for me. I want to shout in this house. God is for me. Who can be against me? Once that confidence gets absorbed into your heart and life, nothing will ever be able to steal your joy again. No matter what happens. And I told you last week that you've been promised eternal life, not an easy life. But the confidence that comes from knowing that you belong to God and that he is for you will allow you to never have your joy stolen ever again. And you'll be able to, point number six, conquer fear. I mean, this is a great sermon. This is a great sermon. Verse 10, part B, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. I got to clap. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Wouldn't you love to kiss fear and anxiety goodbye for good? I mean, wave at me through the television if you would love to kiss fear and anxiety goodbye for good. If that's you, learn to trust. Learn to trust. That is how you kiss fear and anxiety goodbye forever. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. You might want to memorize that verse. Psalm 56, verse 10. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. 
you can recite that to yourself like a Holy Ghost mantra. Next time you find yourself in trouble, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. That's how you, point number seven, discover and embrace the miracle of simple obedience. Entrusting God. I get this out of um, verse 12. Turn the page. There it is. Verse 12. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. Simple obedience. Just in case it's early in the morning and your coffee hasn't kicked in just yet. Simple obedience is not complicated. Okay? If you have bought into a Christianity that is complicated, let me invite you to depart from it. Okay? Christianity is not meant to be complicated. Obedience is simple. I must perform my vows. Okay, what do our vows look like these days? What is the obedience that you currently owe to the God of the universe? That's a very important question, right? If God exists, if he made you to be his friend forever, um, if there's a way in which he's ordered the universe and he expects you to function within that context, um, stands to reason you want to know like what that looks like, right? Am I, are you with me? What does obedience to the God of the universe um, look like for us currently? My favorite, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus himself says that all the law and the prophets, okay, all the vows that David is here thinking about, when he says, I I must keep my vows to you, O Lord. This is before Jesus came on the scene. Okay, many, 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 many years later, Jesus, son of David, okay, from the Davidic line, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, reduces all or encapsulates all the law and the prophets in these two simple commands, to love God with everything you've got and to love the people around you with everything you've got as you learn to love yourself. That's it, okay? Eternal life is rooted in the law of love. I'm sweating now through my shirt. Eternal life is rooted in the law of love. How do I know? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believeth on him should not perish but should have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Everlasting life is rooted in the law of love. As you learn to trust, you'll learn to love God and you'll learn to love people And, point number eight, you will discover the miracle of gratitude. I get this out of verse 12, part B. I will render thank offerings to you. This is big. Gratitude is an offering. You've heard me say it, gratitude is godliness. Gratitude is also an offering. I will render thank offerings to you. If you've been noticing that gratitude is one of the key themes in the Psalms we have explored so far this summer, you're onto it. Okay, you're onto it. That is a big, big idea in these Psalms that we have explored. Gratitude is godliness. Gratitude is the pathway into relationship with God. Gratitude is one of the key ways in which you sustain your relationship with God. I will render thank offerings to you. Gratitude is an offering. Next time you find yourself wishing you could do something for God, 
knowing that you could never do anything to earn his favor, never do anything to earn his love, never do anything to make him stop loving you, but still you feel motivated to do something with your life in response to what he has done for you. Let receive it, let receive it. Let gratitude be your offering. Hallelujah in this house. Start with thankfulness. Why do we give? We give because we have been given everything. Let me say here something difficult. Um, People who don't give aren't stingy. They just don't understand the gospel. Okay? If that's an arrow straight to your heart, repent today. Why? Well, because if you hoard wealth and possessions, it is symptomatic of a lack of trust. Why? Because you're trying to protect yourself. Why? Because you don't trust God. You don't trust God, so you figure you better protect yourself. You better hoard your wealth. You better hoard your possessions. Friend, gratitude is rooted in trust. So is generosity. As the gospel takes deeper and deeper root in your heart, you will find yourself clinging much less intensely to the things of this world. One of the great hymns talks about this. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. When you realize that you have been given everything, you truly become one of those who begins learning what it means to freely give. And gratitude, trust, and generosity come from confidence. Why? Because point number nine, it's already done. Again, a key theme along with gratitude that has shown up throughout the Psalms we have explored this summer. Verse 13, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. You have delivered my soul from death. It's already done. Let me just remind you what we have seen throughout these Psalms we have explored and what we see here again in Psalm 56 verse 13. In trouble, David routinely testifies that his salvation is already done. I just don't want you to miss that pattern. Because it's a pattern, receive it. It's a pattern that you need to emulate. Next time you find yourself in trouble, routinely testify that your salvation has already been done. Tell that to your problems. When your problems try to steal your joy, tell your problems that your salvation is already done. When the devil tries to make you afraid, tell the devil it's already done. He's already defeated, Jesus already has the victory. And your salvation is secure. It's already done. It's already done. Okay? This became a habit for David. As you learn to trust, it will become a habit for you. And, point 10, you will start... I love this point. I love this point. I can't do it justice, but you will start walking with a strut. Why will you start walking with a strut? Because you know where you are from. Somebody shout in this house. Verse 13. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. What does that sound like? That I may walk before God in the light of life of life. I want you to uh, think about somewhere where the light is. Do you know where I'm going to be taking you already? Think about somewhere where the light shines. Your destiny. Oh, I can't. It's so hard for me not to like constantly freak out in these epic moments in my sermons. I just want to burst 
I want to dance. I want to shout. I want to sing. I want to spin around like David in his ephod. Why? Because my, my destiny, your destiny is to walk in the light of life. Does this um, uh, remind you of somewhere? Oh yeah, it does. Let me take you, my dear friends, to Revelation 21, 22 through 27. The new Jerusalem, where I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but no unclean thing will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. My friends, there will be no night there. If you want to take a nap in the New Jerusalem, you got to lower the blinds. That is where you are from. So get the grace you need Put your hope in the right place. Discover faith. Remember that your pain is noticed. Discover security. Conquer fear. Embrace simple obedience and the miracle of gratitude as you start living like it's already done. Walking with a strut because you know where you're from and you know who you are. You're a light walker from Zion who's learned to trust.